Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Great. How is everyone? We all good? Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Isaac. Good job. We're very quiet tonight, so I'd like to instill some passion into us all. We've got a great new series that we're starting. It's going to be an incredible series, a great practical one. And one that's needed for our everyday ordinary lives. But before I introduce the series, which is my job today, I want to talk to the men in the room. There's some men in the room, yeah? I want to talk to you. Let's talk for a moment about the one question that we as men need to be so well equipped to answer. Especially if you're going to be a dad. Without a well thought out answer to this question... We aren't men, we're just boys, okay? This should be the question that we think about when we wake up and the question that we think about just before we go to bed. It's the question that I ask my dad almost every day as a child, as we were walking down the road, as we were driving in the car, as we were eating our dinner. Me and my dad, we bonded over this question. It's the legacy, I believe, that we must leave to our children. Henry, when you have children, this is the legacy you can leave, mate. Are you ready? Are you ready for the question? Who'd win in a fight between? Has anyone ever asked that question before? Who'd win in a fight between? I don't know what it is about this question, but it brings men together. Men could know nothing about one another. And this question is asked, and then suddenly, all of a sudden, the best mates, because they've said the same answer. Who'd win in a fight between? It starts out as a pretty realistic one like who'd win in a fight between a lion and a tiger a shark or a whale those kind of things but gradually it moves on to more unrealistic questions like for me when I was a kid it was who'd win in a fight between Alan Shearer and Roy Keane I don't know if anyone likes football from the the 90s or who'd win in a fight between Batman and Superman or Jackie Chan holding a baby or Bruce Lee holding a sheep who'd win in a fight there Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. These are the ones that I love. Who'd win in a fight between Henry and Chad? Ooh, I wonder. <laughs> Who'd win in a fight between Jack and Timmy? That. Who'd win in a fight between? Now, there's a reason I'm saying this. Please don't think I'm going off on one and waffling. I'm really not, a promise. We don't endorse fighting here in Arena Church. And we certainly won't be fighting here tonight, unfortunately, unfortunately. But to help me introduce this series well, I'm going to invite up two people to our stage in just a second. And in our midst today, we have someone who is half man, half machine. This man's legs are bigger than my body. Find yourself cornered by this man and you'd curl up and cry. This man is like the younger and nicer brother of Goliath in the Bible. And this man's name is Chad. Today I'd like to put up the David and Goliath test to help me with this. By getting up Chad, possibly the tallest and biggest man in the room, against the smallest man in the room, Shammah Basabi. Come on, guys. Please come up. Can we give them a welcome to the stage right now? Thank you. 
And on this table right here is where we figure out who'd win in a fight between Chad and Shammer. With your right hands, and we're going to do this really quickly. We're going to do this really quickly, yeah? Yeah? Who'd win in a fight between these two? Three. Come on. Three, two, one, go. Wow. Wow. Good job. Yes. Wow. Real life David and Goliath. Now, hopefully this makes sense because the title of our new series is this. Suit up and stand firm. Understanding the battle that you are in and how you can reign. I know something about everyone in this room. Whether I know you intimately or not, I know the same thing is true. And that is that we are in a battle. We are in a battle. There's a battle going off right now for your life. Some of you know it, some of you don't. And as I say that, I'm certain that there'd be four responses in this room. The first three are here. Number one is people who are thinking, bring it on. Bring it on, I'll fight the devil himself. Secondly, people who have absolutely no interest in the battle. If there is one, I'll stay right out of it. And thirdly, people who don't believe that that is the case. That God has already won the war. And we just need to live in all of his fullness, all of his grace, all of his blessings. And according to the Bible, all three of these are partly incorrect. And let me help you understand why. Number one, people who say that, bring it on, I'll fight the devil myself. Demons are way more powerful than we ever can be. And I'll insert two words here. And they're so key. In ourselves. In ourselves. If we think that we can take on the enemy and win in our own strength, that's key, be careful. Secondly, people who have no interest that say, I'll stay out of it. Unfortunately, that is impossible. Absolutely impossible. We talk a lot about people discovering their purpose here. And the Bible is very clear, should I say, that the enemy has a purpose. And his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Regardless of how hidden you may feel, regardless of how passive you may be about it, his intention, unfortunately, is to try and steal, kill, and destroy your life. We're coming to some good news, though. Trust me. And thirdly, people who believe God has already won the war. And we just live in all his blessings. Well, you're partly right. God has already won the war. And we can just live in all his blessings. But the entire message is bigger than that. We aren't currently living in the entirety of eternity just yet. Sooner or later we'll realize, maybe you know this already in your own life, that the enemy is still very real and still very at large and still wants to take you out. Yet the fourth response is the correct one. And here it is on the screen right now. It's this. I am in a battle. I know it. I sense it. I feel it. And yet I know the one who has already won the war. And he gives me the victory today. This is the correct response when it talks about battles. I'm going to show you a really quick video right now. Many of us will know this. It's from a film called The Lord of the Rings. 
And this book was written by a, a real amazing Christian called J.R. Tolkien. And this film's pretty much the Bible put into a film. He's a really amazing man. He was best friends with C.S. Lewis, if anyone knows that guy as well. And I think this clip will help us understand the message today. So let's watch it for a second. Who's watched this film before? Hands up. It's a great film. Let me explain why this video is so, so, uh, it's perfect for me to understand why, what the, the enemy is like. In this video, the enemy is already defeated. Just like right now. When God sent his son to the earth to defeat death and the grave, the enemy was defeated like this. He didn't shout, you shall not pass. He proclaimed, it is finished. We no longer need to live under the power of the enemy, but we can sit right under the power of God. The Bible says that Jesus defeated sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave, and his victory is ours by faith in him alone. And yet, J.R. Tolkien put this into an incredible picture of what happens now. Because as you saw the enemy falling, he lashed out. And as the enemy has been destroyed by Jesus, he's still lashing out today. Those attacks on your mind, on your body, on your family, those are lashes out of bitterness from an de already defeated position that the enemy holds. Maybe you've heard the saying that he's won the battle but lost the war. Has anyone heard that before? Well, let's flip it. Because Jesus has won the war. We already know the end result. The devil has lost. He has fallen. He's on his way down as this, this showed us. But every day there's little battles that are going on to try and distract us. He's lashing out. He's trying to take us out. He's trying to bring us down with an already defeated enemy. So this series that I am introducing today is titled, Suit Up and Stand Firm. Understanding the battle you are in and how you can reign. And now hope over this series that is that we will all understand that we are in a battle. And that shouldn't scare us, but it should wake us up for sure. The Bible has an incredible, sobering verse that hits it on the head for me. It says that God's people, that's you and I who, be, who believe, who have given our lives to God, it says are destroyed for lack of knowledge. God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. If we don't understand that we are in a battle, we'll be destroyed in that battle. And that's why it's so key for us to first understand the battle that we are in. And once we understand that, then we can know how to reign in that. How we can stand firm, stand tall, stand strong in whatever the enemy lashes out over our lives. So it's always great to understand the context of what a Bible verse was written for. And Ephesians, the, the, the theme verse that we're going to um, look at over these next four weeks, 
was written by the Apostle Paul. Maybe you've heard of this guy. And Paul was writing a letter to address the church in Ephesus, hence why it's called Ephesians. And these letters would have been read out in a congregation, much like we are today. They would have been written by Paul and then read out in order to equip them for their everyday ordinary lives. And I imagine the church in Ephesus walking through the streets, recently converted, full of the desire to bring more people into the kingdom. And yet, looking around with those new eyes that God often gives us in that moment, and wondering, why is the world so dark? How is this world so dark? How did I not notice this before? How did I fall for this? And into this, Paul, the writer of this letter, knew he had to bring some clarity to the situation. Very much like what we want in this series. Paul knew the church in Ephesus needed to suit up and stand firm. They needed to understand the battle that they were in and how they can reign in it. And so this is what he wrote, our theme verse for the next few weeks in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 13. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and it will, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. This is Paul basically trying to help them understand the battle that they were in and then he gives us a breakdown of how we can fight how we can reign in this battle and we know it as the armor of God perhaps some of you in this room have heard it many 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 times in your life and I really pray that over this series something new would come to every one of us that won't just be head knowledge but actually a, an easy way of us applying it to our lives and we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks but for the second part of my message for 10 minutes or so we're going to race through each of the pieces of armor of Ephesians 6 very briefly and Paul shows us exactly how we can reign so number one is the belt of truth the belt of truth now a question that so many people ask in our world today and yet they look so much in the wrong places what is truth what is truth and the Bible shows us so clearly what truth is. It's found in John 14, verse 6. It says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. He, then, he himself then shows us exactly how we put on the belt of truth. If Jesus is the truth, how do we put on the belt of truth? In John 8, verse 31 to 32, he says, If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The belt of truth is knowing Jesus is the truth, that he himself is the word of God, and therefore we must stay put in God's word, his Bible. 
If we don't know his word, how can we expect to stand firm? I know that everyone in here who wears a belt know that a belt holds everything together. I went this last week. This is a lie, by the way. Sorry for lying on, uh, in front of you all. But I went this week with Chad to go fishing. And uh, Chad showed me that without a belt, you'll have very horrible episodes like this on the screen. <laughs> Brilliant. You could take it down now, because otherwise it will distract. We all know how, how important a belt is. Excuse the pun, Chad's already made one. But if we don't have the belt of truth, we'll start to show cracks. Someone got it. I'm happy. Paul knew that a belt secures the outfit and allows a soldier to move freely. And equally, truth, the belt of truth, both secures us and also gives us the freedom that Jesus promises. The belt of truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate in a Roman armor covered the most important parts of a soldier's body. It covered his heart. And the enemy knew that if they pierced the breastplate of a soldier, they would have killed off the soldier. And equally, the breastplate of righteousness covers our spiritual hearts and our vital organs. The enemy knows that if, we, if he gets through the breastplate, he's killed off the soldier in us. And I had a picture as I was preparing this message. God took me back to my school days. If your school was anything like mine, I know some people weren't brought into English schools. They may have been in other countries. But in our school, we had the same kid that always, his name was Bradley, by the way. He always forgot his PE kit. Every single week, he forgot his PE kit. And he'd end up playing rugby in his pants and a little vest that was three times too small for him. And he'd be wearing a pair of wellies or some silly football boots that were way too big. He'd look an absolute plonker. And God showed me that this is what our breastplates, not the breastplates of righteousness, our breastplates, the breastplates of Jono, an imperfect me. It's broken in many places. It doesn't fit, and the enemy can easily get in. Bradley, this guy that I went to school with, he got battered in any battle because he didn't have this correct kit on. And that's the picture I got of when we try and do things in our own strength and our own righteousness is pointless. But the breastplate of righteousness, which is simply the fact that I stand here, you stand here, if you know God, in right standing with God because of Jesus. Nothing that we've done in ourselves. And that breastplate is made of the hardest, most impossible material to ever pierce. The righteousness that should guard our heart is the righteousness of Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. Thirdly, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Some of my fondest memories as a child is sitting on the bottom step of my grandparents' stairs with my granddad. We'd put on our shoes together and I really forever cherish those moments with my granddad. And when we had our shoes on, I knew that we were ready to go. 
Sometimes we'd sit and we'd fit football boots to get ready for a game. Sometimes we'd fit sandals ready for a trip to Skeggy, the beach. Sometimes we'd fit school shoes ready for him dropping me off at school. Whatever it was, when we had them fitted, we were ready to go. We were ready to go. And some of you in here, like me, feel incredibly tempted by many things in life. The Bible says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. But when we have our feet already fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel, when we remind ourselves every morning on our bottom step with our Father that we are saved now and we are saved for eternity, that we don't need to walk in the way of the world, we're ready to go. When those temptations come, we won't be floundering around looking for our shoes, looking for a way out. We've already been ready to go. We will flee because we're already prepared. And instead of getting stuck, we'll run into whatever God has called us into. The feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Fourthly, the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's what the Bible says. And as when I was reading this a couple of years ago, I stumbled across something that really, really changed things for me, the way that I read this one verse. Because in a, in a battle in those days, when Paul was writing this letter, these shields that they held up against the fiery arrows of their enemy, those arrows were not there to kill someone. They were simply there to distract. They were simply there to distract. If we're always looking up, looking for the distractions of whatever it comes, we're not looking straight ahead. And that, that can be quite bad. The enemy can then come in that way. If you're looking up at the fiery arrows, you're not focused on what is going on ahead of you. And I think the greatest danger that we have as Christians is to be distracted. And that's sometimes by good things. And my encouragement for us all today is don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by things that seem quite good. If I can be completely honest with you, my biggest distraction in my own life is often placing my career and my business ahead of God. Making that the first thing that I think about when I wake up and the last thing that I think about when I go to sleep. And the worst thing is that I can mask it by saying that I'm providing for my family when actually it's not, it's a distraction. It's for my own pride. And could it be that without surrendering this to God and placing it in God's hands, second to God, not before Him, could it be that this is a fiery arrow for my life? Could it be that this is a distraction from the enemy if it's not in the right priority order? What's yours? What are you distracted by? I read a book last year by a man called Rico Tice, and he had this incredible quote. I forgot all of the book except this quote. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. I don't want to be successful at the things that don't matter. So let's take up the shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery arrows, the distractions from the enemy. And fifthly, the helmet of salvation. A helmet does two things. Firstly, it protects. 
Please don't judge me when I say this, but I used to play a game quite a lot with my brother called Call of Duty. Many of you probably have played that. And in that game, you'd basically shoot the enemy. And in the game, if you shot someone in the arm or the leg or whatever, it was kind of okay. We, we did what we needed to do. But if we got a headshot, if we got a headshot, we'd made it. We celebrated. We'd chuck stuff around the room. We'd hug one another. It'd be like we'd just won the World Cup or whatever. If we got a headshot. And sometimes I feel like the enemy sees it the same. He could take us out in many ways. But I feel like he celebrates more when he gets in someone's mind. When he takes a headshot. Either through identity, through confusion, through bitterness, through anger, through unforgiveness. The list could literally go on. And I know that if you are in the middle of that, if you've got stuff going on in your mind today... Firstly, I cannot imagine, but I know that it may seem impossible to get out of. But the Bible is so clear that when we give our lives to Jesus, we have the mind of Christ. We get a new mind. Salvation can make our minds sound. I believe it today that your mind can be sound. And I pray that right now, if that is you, that you would know that God has not given you that kind of spirit. But it says in his word, that he has given you one of power, love, and a sound mind. And I pray for a sound mind for you in Jesus' name. Our minds are protected because of Jesus' work on the cross. The Bible says we have been given the mind of Christ. We have a new mind. So a helmet protects. But it also, secondly, indicates. I used to work at a shop called Hina Antiques. And it was my first job when I was about 15. And I earned an incredible 15 pounds a day with a tuna sandwich chucked in. And in this shop, I used to see loads of different helmets from the World War. They were often made in the same shape, in the same color. But there was also one little difference. One little indicator that showed which side a helmet was on. Was it a German helmet or was it an English helmet and that was a marking on the front and on the same way in the front line when an English soldier popped his head up the Germans knew that whether that soldier was theirs or whether it was the enemy by this one marking on the helmet I want you to think about this carefully because when the enemy looks at you as you give your life to God he sees that you belong to Christ the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13 that we carry a seal, a mark of the Holy Spirit. And every time the enemy looks at you, he's reminded that he has already lost. And therefore, you can remind him in those moments, back off, back off. The helmet of salvation. And finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is the only offensive weapon in this list. We're told in Hebrews 4 verse 12 that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I find it interesting that this armor, that this list of armor starts and finishes with the word of God. The belt of truth, which is the word of God, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's both offensive and defensive 
It both holds us together and it also pierces the enemy's attacks. It's so important. And how can we cope without it? That's the challenge to me and you tonight. How can we expect to not be taken out in the battle without knowing the word of God? This has got to be a challenge to us all. We can't live this life and be in these battles by simply knowing a few Bible verses or simply coming to church on a Sunday and listening to a word. It's got to be in us throughout the week. We've got to know it throughout the week. And if you want to, to know, if you want to know the next step for that, come and talk to me. I'd be privileged to try and help you with that. In whatever busy or not so busy season of our lives, if we're going to survive the attacks of the enemy, we've got to have the belt of truth holding our lives together and the sword of the Spirit offensive to the enemy. So the armor of God. Suit up. Stand firm. Understanding the battle we are in and how we can reign in it. And over these next few weeks, we're going to dig deeper into this passage to help every one of us. And if we apply these to our lives, we will be equipped to reign. Like Shammah, we can overcome the enemy. I'm not saying Chad was the enemy, by the way. He's a nice guy. We can overcome the enemy in every battle that we are in. Because we understand the battle we're in. And we know how that we can reign in it and that is my hope for today as I finish remember I said that this letter was written specifically for the church in Ephesus and as Paul wrote this letter he would have been in prison he would have been behind prison walls behind prison bars and he would have had some Roman soldiers in front of him guarding him and as he looked at them and he, as he jotted down the bits of armor and how we can help us as he then wrote it to the church and as it was read out to this church and as they were equipped like us today to understand the battle that they were in and how they could reign as they suited up and as they stood firm being equipped with all that they went out into their city and they made a difference and the Bible shows us what actually happened this is the actual results of the church in Ephesus in Acts 19, verse 17 to 20. He says, all of the people, all of the people in Ephesus were awestruck, both Jews and non-Jews, when they heard about what had happened. Great fear fell over the entire city and the authority of the name of Jesus, we've sang about that tonight, was exalted Many believers publicly confessed their sins and disclosed their secrets. My word, I remember the day when I did that. What a freeing day it was. When I publicly confessed my sins and disclosed my secrets. Large numbers of those who had been practicing magic took all of their books and scrolls of spells and publicly burned them. When the value of all the books and scrolls was calculated, it came to several million dollars. That's in today's language. The power of God, I love this, caused the word to spread. And the people in that city were greatly impacted. This is the result of when we suit up and when we stand firm 
when we understand the battle we are in and understand how we can reign in it. Let's pray.